We've got new friends with us this morning, so I'm going to be on my best behavior. Mm. <laughs> my name is Brandon Reddick. And I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. It is our pleasure, our privilege, our honor to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Thank you. There are hundreds of churches that you could have chosen to worship at on this Sunday morning, but you chose to worship with this local body of believers called the Bridge Church. And we say thank you on behalf of all of our elders, myself, our staff, and the members and regular attenders here at the Bridge Church, thank you so much for being here with us on this morning. We would ask that you would complete a bridge card. It's right there in front of you, um, in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, we simply want to know your name, that you were here, uh, connect with you, answer any questions that you may have, and you can do that on the back of that card. And we want to be able to say thank you in some tangible way for being with us on this morning. You were missed on last week. Our family had a good time while we were traveling for the break. We missed our family, so it's good to see each and every one of you here on this morning. I don't know about you, but I've just given up on March Madness. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. We've been in a sermon series on prayer. The whole series is that's my title for the series, a sermon series on prayer. This first installment of this sermon series on prayer has simply, we've simply asked, why pray? We know that we're supposed to pray. We've been preached to about praying. We've been convicted about our lack of prayer. But there are some basic questions that need to be answered and understood to have a vital prayer life. And so the first week we started this, a couple of weeks ago, we said, when we, to answer the question why pray, we said to give glory to God. Most of the problem in the prayer in the church and prayer in our individual lives or that we start from a human or man-centered perspective. But prayer in every other spiritual discipline exists for the glory of God. And so we said God gave us prayer to bring him glory. When we go to God in prayer and when he answers our prayer, however he decides to answer, he gets glory from that. And then on last week, Pastor Josh preached from us. He reminded us that we also pray not only so that God will be glorified, that is the chief reason and the chief purpose of prayer, but we also pray because without Christ, we can do nothing. We are utterly helpless, weakless, deficient without Christ. But we do have the hope of the gospel where Jesus says, with me all things are possible. And so we pray for the glory of God. We pray because we are helpless without him. But then 
any serious person who's really thought about this idea of prayer has another question about prayer. And here's the question that we must ask. Before we ask that question, let's remember that as people of the Bible, people of the Christian faith, people who believe in the God of the Bible, one thing that we declare flat-footedly and without apology is that our God is sovereign. Oh, yeah, y'all better come on with me. I'm excited to be here this morning. He, he's in total control. He's all-powerful. Nothing happens without either the decree or permission of God. God is the primary cause of everything that happens. However, God works through secondary causes as well. So as we consider the sovereignty of God, if God has already decreed certain things to happen, the question that, that any serious person of prayer, any serious student of the word has to ask is, if God is sovereign, why pray? I'm so glad you asked, because I wrote a whole message to answer that question. The story is told about a small town down south. Many years, this town had been a dry town. No alcohol had ever been sold or served there. But one day, a businessman in the area decided to build a tavern. And in response to this new tavern, a group of Christians gathered together to pray. Because they were concerned that now their town was going from dry to wet. A town that would, where alcohol would be sold and served. And so they decided that they would gather together and have an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. Shortly after the prayer meeting that night, lightning struck the tavern and it burned to the ground. In the aftermath of that fire, the owner of the tavern said, I got y'all, I'm going to sue you. Claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible for his loss. So the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible for this loss. And after the initial review of the case, the presiding judge began the trial with this official statement. No matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. This story is funny on one hand, but it also has to be convicting on the others. How many times have we been surprised by prayer? And if the truth be told, and y'all brought me here to tell the truth, we'd have to be honest with ourselves and say we oftentimes can be dismissive of, dismissive of prayer like these Christians in this small town. We oftentimes have a lackadaisical attitude towards prayer. 
which causes us either to hesitate to pray or not pray at all. And anybody who's considered praying or struggled with praying has asked themselves, does prayer make any difference? Does prayer actually change anything? As I said earlier, any serious person of prayer would ask themselves this question, if God is sovereign, why pray? And that's the question I want us to consider this morning. Now, now, I'm not going to answer all of the question because this morning I'm preaching about if God is sovereign, why pray? Two weeks from now, I'll be here next Sunday for Easter. We'll take a break for Easter, but two weeks from now, we'll ask a little bit of a different question. Does prayer change the mind of God? Be careful, because even the Bible says that God repented of certain decisions. Come back, come back, come back. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. But from the outside, we must, from the outset, we must acknowledge that the question on the table is somewhat of a faulty question. Here's the question. If God is sovereign, why pray? Problem with the question is it starts with a condition. If God is sovereign. It seems as if one is asking or questioning the sovereignty of God. And we must say from the very beginning of the sermon that God is absolutely sovereign, period. You don't believe me? Look, at, look with me at Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Here is what God says. He says in verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10, 10 declaring the end from the beginning. In other words, I know the future before the future ever happens. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Watch, here it is. And I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. God says here in Isaiah 46, he says without uh, unequivocally, he says that all of his purposes will be accomplished. Otherwise, other words, everything that God purposes will come to pass. His purposes and plans come to pass by his power. The sovereignty of God means all the plans and purposes of God will not fail. They cannot be thwarted by any enemy or human involvement. Why? Because God is an all-powerful God who rules and reigns over all of creation. You don't believe it? 
that God is still sovereign? Here's what, what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He said, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. I still have some uh, uh, naysayers in here. Psalm 115, verse 3 says that God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases, which means he is sovereign. Why can God do as he pleases? Because he don't answer to nobody else. He's king of kings and lord of lords. There is no higher authority above God. If there were, then that higher authority would be God. So God is sovereign. He's the supreme ruler of the universe. So then the question, the better question for us to ask this morning is this. Since God is sovereign, why pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you four reasons this morning. First of all, since God is sovereign, why pray? Well, we pray because God is sovereign. I'm preaching up in here. Y'all don't even know it. The answer lies within the question. We pray because God is indeed sovereign. The implication of the sovereignty of God means that nothing escapes God's notice. Nothing oversteps the boundaries of his power. Nothing is outside the control of God. Therefore, we pray because we believe that God is in complete control over the universe. We pray because we know and believe without a doubt that God reigns and rules over the universe. And it is because he governs all that we go to him in prayer. Why else would you pray or ask somebody for something that you knew they couldn't deliver? It is because we know that he's an all-powerful God. He's the God who can speak things into existence. I said God could do that. I will. I said God is the one who speaks things into existence. You, you, You have not been given that authority. God is the only one who can say, let there be, and there was. He's an all-powerful God. Here's the way the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 20. He says, now unto him that is able. Listen, if I wish y'all would let me, I could preach a sermon just over that right there. God is able. He, he, He is able. What is he able to do, Paul? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or Thing. He's an all-powerful God, and because he is all-powerful and he's in complete control, that's why we pray. So, friends, we don't pray in spite of God's sovereignty. We pray in light of God's sovereignty. Tweet that for me. It is in acknowledging the sovereignty of God and prayer that we confess our own deficiency our own helplessness, our own weakness. So we pray, first of all, because God is sovereign. If God is sovereign, why pray? 
I'm glad you asked. Second reason, because he told us to. Because God commands us to pray. That's why we pray. What do you mean God commands us to pray? Psalm 50, verse 15, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God commands us to pray. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus says, men ought always to pray and not faint. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, God commands us through the apostle Paul, pray without ceasing. God commands us to pray. Not only are we commanded to pray, but we are commanded to pray regularly. Prayer, church, is to be part of our regular routine. Prayer is our daily duty. And it is because God commands prayer, excuse me, because God commands prayer, our duty then is to lovingly obey. And friends, let me say this. Saved people should delight in obeying their Savior. And we must remember that whatever God commands of us has to be good for us. We pray, even though we know God is sovereign, we pray because he is sovereign, and we pray because he commands us to pray. But thirdly, we pray because God has determined prayer to be the means by which his will is accomplished. Rewind, press play. We pray because God has determined that prayer will be a means by which his will will be accomplished. God, primary cause. Prayer, secondary cause. Friends, God not only decrees the outcome He also decrees the processes and the systems by which those outcomes will be accomplished. Say that one more time, Brandon. All right. God not only decrees the end, but he also decrees the means. Help me, Brandon. God decreed that there would be light, and he could have just let light shine from heaven. But rather than just like letting light shine from heaven, he said he gave us the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay? God decreed for us to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, God decreed that we would reproduce, have offspring, have babies. God could have chosen in his own time to say, Brandon and Connie are going to have a baby on this day at this appointed time. Boom, there you go without any of our intervention. But instead, not only did he decree that we would reproduce, but he decreed that the means by which we were reproduced by giving us a reproductive system. Come on, y'all, get with me. God decreed that healing would occur for every manner of sickness and disease. God could have just let it happen. 
But instead, God says the end is that you will be healed. Some of you will be healed from sickness and disease, but the means will be doctors and nurses and physicians' assistants and medication and hospitals and doctors' offices and all the whole, the whole medical system. Okay, you don't like that. Let's talk about your soul. Here's what Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 says, salvation is of the Lord. This is always a fun part to preach and argue with people about. Here's what it says one more time, salvation is of the Lord, which means that God is in control of salvation from the very beginning to the very end. Salvation is of the Lord, not the Lord and man. It's never, it's nowhere in there. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 2 verse 9, I believe it is, salvation is of the Lord. You, without God intervening, you would never come to God on your own. Why? Because you enjoy sinning too much. You wake up in the morning, whoo, I get to sin today. Brush your teeth. I'm, gonna get, I'm really going to get ready to sin. You step out the door, sin, let's do this thing. On your own, you would never come to God. Otherwise, you would have, and he would have never had to send Jesus to die for your sin. So God said, all right, these, these folks ain't going to do nothing. Help me, Jesus. These folks ain't going to do nothing to save themselves, so I got to save them all by myself. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a death that he did not deserve because you couldn't die for your own self. Salvation is of the Lord. And guess what? Before he even did that, th that was all before the foundations of the world. That's how sovereign he is. That before you were ever born, he said, I'm going to save that person. It won't be for 2,000 years later, but I'm going to serve him, save him. God, he starts at the beginning and he says, I'm going to save them. But Lord, he knew we wouldn't, go, we wouldn't come to him on our own. So he says, I'll woo them to me. But this, that, that, I like to just call it his wooing grace. He, he just kept pulling at us, saying, come, come, come on, come on. And his grace was so strong that we couldn't, we couldn't turn our back to it. We just feel like a dog after some food. Grace, 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 mercy, mercy. And we kept coming, and he kept wooing us. And, and one day we finally said, oh, I'm a man undone. I see how holy he is. I see how sinful I am. Oh, Lord, I'm a man undone. What must I do to be saved? Oh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to the end, but he also decreed the means by which we would be saved. The power of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that leads to salvation. Nobody has ever been saved without the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel. The end is, you will be saved. The means is, the gospel. And it's the same way with prayer. God has decreed that certain outcomes would happen. That's the end. The means is prayer. 
me give you one final example. As soon as I catch my breath. <laughs> Familiar passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29. Let me first show you the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> Let me give you his plan. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, God speaks. Here's his plan and his purpose. To his people who have been exiled to Babylon, he says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, the cares of the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's my plan and my purpose. Now, let me give you the path to my plan and my purpose. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. The end is, I'm going to bring you back to your homeland. The means by which that will happen is, you're going to call upon me and pray. And here's the product, the, the result. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. God's purposes, his sovereign decree is you're in exile now, but I'm bringing you back. The pathway is you're going to have to call upon me. Acknowledging your sinfulness, your weakness, and your helplessness. And the result is, I'll bring you back. Finally, if God is sovereign, we pray because God has created prayer to be multidimensional. What do you mean? If you think prayer is simply asking and getting from God, you will struggle with this whole idea of sovereignty of prayer. But prayer, friends, is an act of worship. It's not about simply what we get, but prayer also involves adoration. Here's what I mean by multidimensional. When we pray, it's not about God changing us, changing our situation, giving us something that we need, but prayer is also for us to heap praises and adoration upon God. God being praised has nothing to do. You actually, you praise him because he is sovereign. And in our prayer life, we, we adore him. Not only in prayer do we adore him, but we also confess our sinfulness to him. We say thank you. There's adoration, there's confection, and there's thanksgiving in prayer. None of those are effective, affected by the ideal or the principle or the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And it's after we do those things that we come to him and we say, 
Now, God, I need you. I need this from you. I need that from you. So because prayer is multidimensional, it's not just about simply getting and asking and God doing something, but it's also a means by which you worship him through speech, acts of adoration, confession, and thanksgiving as well. If this idea of God's sovereignty and prayer was an issue, then Jesus would not have prayed. Jesus knew God was sovereign, but still he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he looks into this cup of suffering. Knowing that God is suffering, is sovereign, he still prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And just good old, good old Baptist preaching is, he's, they used to say that Jesus would look into that cup and he'd see your face and my face. Then he'd say, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the heart of a true person of prayer. It is, Lord, Help my will to get in line with your will because I know you are sovereign. God works for his glory, but also for our good. But never forget, it's always in that order. His glory, our good. So, friends, as I said earlier, we don't pray in spite of God's sovereignty, but we pray in light of God's sovereignty. Worship team, let's come. Men, let's prepare for communion. As they come, I would ask you.